Valerie, can you also tell us about some of the themes that we visit later in the exhibition, such as the late pop section or perhaps about the constructed world section where we see some interesting relationships between artists such as Sarah Ann Johnson, who was in fact uh, taught, I understand, by Gregory Crutzen, who's also featured in that section of the exhibition? Well, I think what we've really established is by having the early periods and then the contemporary sections is to show how, whether someone's actually the teacher of, of a later artist, all artists are really looking back to what's come before them and they're taking it apart and, and reinterpreting it and sometimes copying it. And so um, the first contemporary section is this sort of post-pop section, which is fundamentally Gilbert and George and Jeff Koons. And we they go right on from looking at Warhol and Lichtenstein to that. And, and you can really see how these artists are drawing on particular, uh, on the palette, on subject matter that came before them, but then making it more current to their particular time period, be it their own image instead of Andy Warhol's self-portrait image or um, some sandwiches, uh, which is what Jeff Koons paints, rather than, um, you know, a, a soft telephone of Oldenburg. So I think that really what it's fundamentally showing is that there are certain concepts and approaches that have been developed earlier that, that still have relevance 20, 30 years on. In constructed worlds, it's... Um, I mean, the, the history of art is filled with mythologies and going back to antiquity and so in storytelling and, in, and fundamentally many of the works in there are about telling the story. There's a work by the young Canadian artist Sarah Ann Johnson, a series of photographs that she took at a Canadian youth camp. And some of the photographs are literal photographs and some are taken of figurines mocked up in similar settings where the boundary between reality and, and fantasy is, is, is blurred. And I think that that's... But, and it is a narrative, but it's a disjunctive narrative so that in a way you have to put the pieces together like you like you might in a series of Greek vases or something of the like. And she, because she has that kind of dark fantasy world, she, you can tell the influence of her professor, Gregory Crudson, who has two photographs in the same room. They are of a different sort. His, his are clearly very filmic, looking at Hollywood, um, the kind of twist on it and domestic scenes. But in, the, in some ways, they have so much in common. They're, they're almost, it's, it's hard to distinguish where, where the boundary is perhaps in, in the gallery. But I, I think that it is about the idea of how we construct a world that's comfortable for ourselves, how, how artists will construct worlds that make us reflect upon our own world. And um, another case in that room, in fact, is Thomas Damon's photograph, The Archive, which is, is a reconstruction of Lenny Riefenstahl, the German filmmaker's archive um, filmmaker from the Hitler era, of course. And so that, in, in principle, that photograph is just a fantastic minimalist grid. It could have been made in the 1960s. It could be a stage set, and, and it's just not, it's not real, but in the same way it's invoking the real. So I think that's, that this is really, the whole exhibition is about these boundaries between the world of artifice and, and what we, the world we inhabit. We've already talked about European artists, American artists. You've even mentioned Sarah Ann Johnson's Canadian. We're so um, pleased with the breadth of na nationalities of the artists that we've managed to include in this exhibition. I think there's around 18 in total. Can you talk about what informed the Guggenheim collecting policy once the Frank Lloyd Wright building was opened in 1959 and if or how it has changed since that time? Well, I, I think that, well, essentially when the collection was founded, it was 100% about painting and, in fact, was called the Museum of Non-Objective Painting. But under um, our director, James Johnson Sweeney, he felt that it was important to incorporate other media, principally, of course, sculpture. He acquired some of the earliest uh, Brancusi works. So even from that point, I mean, he was, they were acquiring artists of different nationalities, but the media was fairly limited in terms of what we were, what we were collecting. 
works on paper, of course, began to be acquired. But it was really kind of more recently, within the last 20 years or so, that we began, well, particularly, I think, probably in the last 15 years, so we began really heavily collecting photography. And this is partly influenced by a relationship with the Robert Mablethorpe Foundation, and we have a very large Mablethorpe collection. We also, of course, because we are a museum that continues to collect the art of our time, the art of tomorrow, as, as Hilary Bay called it, we have installations, we have video, we were really collecting in all media. And so I think it's, it's, it's been in the last 20 to 15 to 20 years that we found ourselves really expanding the, the, the parameters of the collection. At the same time, it, some of the kinds of works that we're acquiring aren't really compatible with the physical space we inhabit in, in New York. So that's why having some of our affiliates and having the opportunity to have exhibitions at other venues, such as the NJV, is really essential for us so that we can share the collection with the public. Moving now to some of the zones that we enter uh, throughout the exhibition, one of the first zones that we enter in the big exhibition hall contains forms which look like exercises in industrial exactness and illustrate the disappearance of the maker's mark. And it's through these forms that minimalism and conceptualism are examined. Is there an artist in this particular area whose approach moves you above all others? Well, I think I'm very, I'm fundamentally moved by Dan Flavin. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the most important aspects of minimalism that many authors have written about is the experiential nature of it, that one could see a reproduction and say, like you're saying, that it's, an, it's industrial, it's not made by the artist. And, but then the moment you go, you're in the presence of it when the, the vision of the light, the, the fluorescent tubes of Flavin affect your retina and how you perceive your space around you and, and you become aware of your physicality in a different way. I mean, that's more obvious in relation to some of these objects by the likes of, of, of um, Donald Judd, for instance. I, I mean, to me, that's, that's what's the distinction here. That's what's special about them is, is that one can't just go and look at an image and say, oh, that's a pretty painting or that, that's a really interesting subject matter. You're, it is an abstraction. And in that sense, um, the acquisition of the Ponza collection, which was undertaken under the directorship of Thomas Krenz, our current director, it was going back to non-objectivity in a certain way. It's very abstract. At the same time, the figure is fundamentally implicated, the figure of yourself, of the visitor, of the viewer. And so I love that section because it is about, it's a continuation. It's not so obvious of this tension between the figure and the abstract. And in that sense, I, I think it's, um, it might need some more explication. But when the visitor is able to kind of experience those works, that's, that's kind of the moment of discovery. In the last room of the exhibition, we see themes of identity, the body, the gaze and perception examined. The body is shown in both literal and conceptual ways and in various media here. Thinking of three of the female artists that we see in this room, Anne Hamilton, uh, Vario and Abramovic, do you want to tell us about how you see these works connecting? Well, what I really like, first of all, about having Marina Abramovic and, and Adriana Varajayo is, and, and, and the Anne Hamilton is that they are in many ways, they're quite abstract in the way they present the subject matter. Hamilton and, and Abramovich both have been involved in performance. Um, the videos, small videos that Anne Hamilton has, which are fundamentally a mouth, the mouth in different senses, and they're nonverbal, they are performative in character. In Marina's case, she actually does a lot of per actual performance art, and, but in this case, she's present through television monitors that have a, a skeleton that she's cleaning. And the skeleton being a classic vanitas sim, um, symbol of the fragility of life and vanity. And, and so 
that is echoed in this sort of very gory and fragile at the same time table by Anne Hamilton that has 10,000 human and animal teeth. It's in a, in a bed of iron oxide that looks almost very bloody. And so you, you're thinking of how a, a tooth is a, it is a symbol, it's an identifier mark that you think about if someone finds a body that teeth and dental records can be used for that. And they're a way of classifying too. And, and so um, I also like that the teeth on the table, they are very visceral and they are very present, but they're also quite abstract. It's almost like white shapes on a red background, which is echoing the Varjayo, which is a white tile background with this sort of viscera popping out of the back of the surface so that it's actually extremely abstract yet concrete. And it also, even though these things seem to be so modern and contemporary, the Varjayo is really looking back to something like a Fontana where the, the, the surface of the painting is sliced open and what is behind it? Is it just space or is it viscera or what have you? So I think that they are all interpreting the body, but they're using the body as kind of a metaphor for something larger rather than just being about the physical body.